Dot.html is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things movies, music, media, comics, and more, check out the Cage Club Network at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. It's exactly what the man just said. I'm Nico. And I'm Kevo. This is MCU.HTML, and this is an amazing episode, because this is an episode we did not expect to record when we woke up this morning. No, not at all, but as soon as we heard the news, we were like, we got to. Spider-Man dropped a trailer, or should we say, two trailers. Trailers. There's an international and a domestic version. And frankly, it's 2019, so if you aren't hopping right on YouTube and watching both trailers, I don't know what other people do with their day sometimes, I swear. Yeah, when the availability is right there, when you can see the other scenes, I mean, I'm just so excited to see what shape the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to take in a post-Endgame universe. And it's really interesting to see the two different trailers, the two different versions, and note the differences between them. But we'll get to that later. First, let's talk about, you know, what we got. I actually want to start with something a little bit before. For that, I want to start with the Endgame trailer because we rewatched that as well to kind of keep everything a little bit fresh because that's the only other thing that possibly has an, a moment even of post-Endgame canon in it. I just want to point out that I don't think we see a single person in common between the Endgame trailer and the Far From Home trailer. I definitely noticed that as well. I think that's a very important note that the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer stands very independent from anything we've gotten about Avengers Endgame. I also, as usual, did my bit of research before doing even this episode and was very surprised. Well, not very surprised, actually, to discover that putting the film out here was not Marvel Studios' first choice. This was actually a Sony decision, and... I found an article from December even talking about how this completely complicated the consequences of Endgame because, you know, everybody knows that Spider-Man poofed away and here we are seeing that he's got a movie coming out immediately. And I think that's part of why there is absolutely no relationship between the two trailers because saying anything at all is going to give away too much. And I have to assume that's why the casts are chosen the way they are. I don't think we see another Avenger in this at all. It's just Spider-Man. Yeah, just Spidey, Happy, and Fury are the only major MCU characters that we see in the trailer. Though I do believe we know that Kobe Smulders is in the film because she's doing a press junket about it. Yeah, she definitely is. I wonder if that's the female agent we see standing at Fury's side at one point when they're about to be attacked by the giant sand monster. I would really appreciate it if it was. Although, no, maybe I'd appreciate another female agent in this movie. True. Very good point. With that in mind, I just want to roll right into Spider-Man and take a look at this trailer. Let's start with the domestic. Sure. I really love that it opens on Aunt May. One of the things that makes Spider-Man different than a lot of the other Marvel Cinematic Universe characters is he has a family life. He has his aunt. It also immediately answers any questions that we might have had that were left dangling at the end of Spider-Man Homecoming. A lot of people were thrown by the revelation that Aunt May finds out that he's Spider-Man and we don't see any follow-up. Here we immediately see she's clearly taken to this role. She's supportive. I really love that because I loved Aunt May in Spider-Man Homecoming and I wouldn't have enjoyed any sort of her kicking up a fuss about him having these abilities. And more than just her being part of it, I like that we saw some additional content for her that wasn't just about Peter. However, I do think that will bring you to your first point of Uh, irritation. 
Well, one of the things that Aunt May is getting to do outside of just Peter is clearly helping the homeless, which is wonderful and a great humanitarian thing for Aunt May. But that immediately segues us into It's Me, so of course I'm going to talk about this, the flagrant heterosexual visibility. I actually thought it was really cute when I saw it. I think that Marissa Tomei and John Favreau are both great actors, and it's cute chemistry. Do you know how many times a day I am told queer people want too much queer shit everywhere? And there's at least two romances shown in both versions of this trailer. There's room for that, really? By my count, three total across the two versions. Absolutely, I agree with you. It's almost oppressive at times. Nearly every character has to have a romantic subplot, if only because we're going to continue to have these half-formed characters with half-formed subplots. One of the most frustrating things about the MCU so far has been an inability to completely develop just about any character as far as we'd like to see it. But they're going to keep giving us baby makers for no reason. Because the romance that we see in the international version that I'm pretty sure you can still spot in the domestic is we get a better look at the fact that apparently Ned and Betty Brant are dating. You see them holding hands when they're being attacked on the bridge. And they are such minor characters, but we have the time to spotlight the two of them visually being a romantic pairing. There's time for that, and yet queer people saying, hey, can we see more of us? We're asking for too much. It's just annoying, and that's really all. It's a really cute opening, though, and then we transition into a bunch of scenes of Peter web-slinging around in his regular red and blue suit and picking up stuff from a local bodega so he can pack for his little trip. It's interesting to note that this opening is really the only difference between the domestic and the international trailers. The international trailer instead has a cute gag of Peter getting stopped at customs with his suit in his bag, but it turns out that they only want to get rid of his banana, and then we see the kids getting their passport stamp before getting on the plane. I feel the difference is because they know American audiences are going to respond more excitedly to the New York stuff, whereas seeing a bunch of kids get ready to travel internationally, that's something that can be appreciated better over in Europe, which makes a lot of sense. I did enjoy the no banana joke quite a bit. I thought that was just silly and fun. It also was cute that it had a note from Aunt May. With a heart... So she still managed to appear in the trailer that she appeared less in, which was very cool. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I agree with all of your points about the international trailer versions being more suited to an international audience. Part of the New York landscape is such an iconographic element of American superhero films, but this is looking to capture an international market. They go to Europe. And that's where the trailers basically merge into one when we get to the scenes of the teens gallivanting around Europe, the bit of Peter telling MJ that she looks pretty. That was a cute sequence, especially knowing what good friends Tom Holland and Zendaya are in real life. I also want to point out that this part of the trailer could very easily turn into a hostile film. Yeah, you're not wrong. It's just this very generic, we're going around Europe feel. And there's something disarming about it, which is what made the next moment really interesting. Yeah, especially with the foreboding way that Nick Fury introduced himself, I was certain when Ned went down that this was going to be a villain who was attacking. Well, it doesn't help that Nick Fury almost said it with like an accent at one point, but that's just me. Like every time we rewatched it, I was like, it kind of sounds like he's saying it like vaguely Transylvanian, but Nick Fury shows up and Spider-Man knows who he is right away. Peter's like, you're Nick Fury. Yeah, it was really cute. It was a it was a really lovely sequence, especially knowing what a connection they have in some of the recent Spider-Man animated series. And I think it's that they're trying to fill the hole left by Tony in this trailer with Happy and Nick Fury, 
whether or not Tony survives Endgame, they could just be cutting around him appearing in the trailer. He could be in all of the scenes with Happy, and they just picked some good-ass footage. But they are making it look like it's taking Nick Fury and Happy's combined efforts to fill Tony Stark's very heavy iron shoes. Yeah, I definitely think that is possible because it's important to note that Michael Keaton is supposed to be in this film. When I looked at the Spider-Man Far From Home Wikipedia article, he's second build under Tom Holland, and yet there is absolutely no footage of his character in either version of the trailer. And what's really interesting is I don't think it's possible the Vulture can play a very large role in Endgame, so it's not like they're trying to keep his further existence a secret. I just don't think that's going to be how that plays out. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. (laughs) So his exclusion from the trailer is a little different than everyone else we've noticed's exclusion. Yes, absolutely. Once Nick shows up, everything sort of gets... I don't know. I think we get to this point where they just really want to show us that they're giving us an entire video game's worth of costumes. Yeah, they really are. At about a minute 30 in domestic and about a minute 5 in international, we get that red and black suit with the little webbing wings. It looked super cute. The one that's vaguely superior Spider-Man-Z, yeah. Mm, yes. And we get Spider-Man Noir later on. Yeah, we get a brief shot of that. I'm excited to see where it comes from in the MCU. I really hope that it has something to do with European fashion. Oh, I would just think that's great. Or maybe it's like designed by one of the European shield offices, like Strike or Sword. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, Sword's space. Strike is British. Right, okay. It's all the same thing. Hey, we just read this over in X's for Podcast. Yeah, we did, so go check it out. Go check it out. But back to this, I have to... I have to bring it over to it. I, I don't think I can wait much longer. We get a bunch of, like, big monster creatures. We have, like, Hydro Man, who I knew was going to be in this, but, like, we also have, like, kind of like a big rock monster. Yeah. Some giant sand creature. Is it Sandman? Do we know? I honestly don't know. I actually apparently didn't know a lot about this film that I discovered today for the first time. Like, I didn't know that Mysterio is also recruited by Nick Fury to help fight whatever these creatures are. The summary describes them as the Elementals. I wonder if that's some way of getting around using Sinister Six. Maybe it's a bunch of Spider-Man's Elemental-based villains because... Spider-Man has a bunch of elemental-based villains and a bunch of animal-based villains. You know, the elementals is a little bit scarier than the bad guys do. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Killer pet store. It's just a little bit less intimidating. I really need to bring up the fact that Mysterio is a good guy in this movie somehow. He's clearly a villain, and I don't think that they are going to suddenly in the MCU start redeeming old rogues to be heroes instead. So we know this must be some sort of villainous origin story. I think it's a bold choice to do something like that, to have a character that everyone knows is going to become a villain start as a good guy. So we're going to have to see where that goes. Hey, you know what that sounds a whole lot like? Like the Osborns. So it's not unusual to Spider-Man to have a character start as a good guy and become a bad guy. Oh my god, I thought you were talking about Ozzy Osbourne, not Harry Osborne. No, I'm definitely talking about Harry and Norman. I was like, what does the Osborne's MTV reality show have to do with Spider-Man Far From Home? I'm willing to ride this out with you, but I'm going to have to ask you to elaborate. I feel like Ozzy Osbourne would be like, I bit the head off a bat. And then you'd have Norman Osborne sitting in the corner, cackling into his chair, putting green face masks on and off, screaming into the night. And Ozzy Osbourne would be like, oh, I'm out of here. And like would 
piss himself running because Norman Osborn really is one of the scariest villains in the Marvel Universe. I'm interested to see how the MCU might approach him at some point. Glad they haven't done it yet because I feel like the first two iterations did the Osborn family pretty much right away and then did him to death. You know, I was thinking about, yes, they did. You know, I was thinking about this, just ruminating on it while we were discussing this episode and getting it together. And it's such a strange choice to make MJ Michelle Jones instead. It's such a strange choice not to have Gwen Stacy and Mary Jane Watson. In thinking about how young Tom Holland still is, and the longevity of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Who's to say that we won't get one more Tom Holland Spider-Man film right now, and then, literally, five to ten years later, a completely new Spider-Man franchise starring Tom Holland as a 25-year-old, Peter Parker. With the way that they keep doing these films, there's honestly no reason that they couldn't do something like that. Look how long it's taken for the next two Avatar films to come out. I really want to interact with something you're saying because you presented a possibility that I find very attractive. You said with the longevity of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Tom Holland's age, can I be honest? I would love to see him play this character well into borderline old age. I would be thrilled to see somebody play Spider-Man into his 40s. Something we've never been able to get in the Marvel Universe is the ability to move these characters permanently forward through adulthood. Yes. Frequently when these characters have children, the children disappear, except for Reed and Sue's kids. Because they're already old people. Mm-hmm. Every time a person comes back from the dead, it's a little bit younger and a little bit buffer. And I'm always really amazed by how resurrection improves your physique. One of the most incredible things is Peter Parker did become a 30-something with a job and a pregnant wife and still managed to be a superhero and even like kind of joined some teams and helped recruit some kids and there was a whole lot of stuff going on. And they had to revert him back to essentially a younger version because people got tired of old man Spider-Man. And then they did it again, and they had to revert him back to a younger version because nobody wants old man Spider-Man. And this just keeps going. It becomes a danger to the story. For instance, Tony Stark in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is pro-registration and kind of anti-cap, and that's just kind of got to be his thing. And in the Marvel Universe, the comic it's based on Civil War, the same thing happens. Except shortly thereafter, Tony Stark uses the fact that that Tony Stark has a good guy version of Extremis to erase that part of his brain, basically. He reboots to a version of himself just before Civil War, so he doesn't have to remember certain things, but also betraying Cap. They gave him a way out, and I don't love that. But they have to give him a way out. Because because these characters need to reset in order to keep going. Yeah, no, I get it. And I think there's something very attractive about how young Tom Holland is finally maybe being able to be the thing that moves the cultural perception of Spider-Man forward from 16 to 23 years old to maybe 35. If Tom Holland wants to hunker down and do this role for the next 20 years, hell, I'd love to see MJ be jackpot. Oh, nice. And that's one of the things that I love so much about the culture that we are in in terms of storytelling with remakes and reboots and Fuller House being 30 years later, you know, 
so many actors have played the same roles for an extended period of time. I believe Kelsey Grammer played Fraser Crane for almost 20 straight years, and he never really essentially got bored of the role. It's a job, but it's supposed to be fun, and these are great characters, and I don't see any reason why someone wouldn't want to do that. And something that I've wondered is, let's say all of the original Avengers die in Endgame, because let's say that you have a theory about how that's what it's going to take to reset things or whatever. Let's say you have that theory. Nothing stops these actors from appearing in one-offs set during the phases. We have Star Wars standalone stories. What are they called again? Star Wars stories? Star Wars stories. Yeah. Why can't we have Marvel classics? I don't understand why they wouldn't be able to get another film out of that. One of the things is we're getting a Black Widow movie starring Scarlett Johansson. And I'm curious to see if it's going to take place after phase three. I would not be shocked if we got a concise history of the Black Widow. Yeah, one of the things that you frequently said that you would love to see is a World War II movie featuring Captain America teaming up with Wolverine. And with us getting the rights to that character back, there's no reason that we can't see a standalone film like that. It wouldn't be very different from what we got out of Logan. And I just don't see why it couldn't happen. Give me what I want. Give it. Give me, please. But back to the movie that we have at hand, there's two other things I need to mention. Number one, oh my goodness, I love that version of the Spider-Man theme. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it's going to end up being in the film or if it's just a trailer because I do know that Spider-Man already has his own theme that's been composed by Michael Giacchino because, you know, I know all things like that. That you might have noticed it opened this episode instead of our normal theme song. I just liked it so much I had to put it in already. True. And number two... Oh man, the only other notable difference between the international and domestic trailers. Yes, this one really took us by surprise. In the domestic trailer, the trailer goes out on the kids watching some footage of Mysterio, and they're like, oh, he's like Thor and Iron Man put together. And Flash says that the Mysterio is no Spider-Man. MJ asks why he's so hung up on Spider-Man, and he defends it, and then looks over at Peter and says, hey, dickwad. However. However. In the international version, the image stays on Peter instead of cutting back to Flash when he says dickwad, and it's dubbed over with, hey, loser. Really, really interesting distinction. I don't know exactly what the reason is, whether loser translate better internationally, because dickwad is sort of, I mean, I just assume it doesn't translate well. And maybe other countries have slightly different standards, and so if they want to use a Mm. universal international trailer, Mm -hmm. they need one that they can get through in as many countries as possible, so they need to replace dickwad with loser. Because that is definitely some vulgar language right there. You know, it's really crazy that the Marvel Cinematic Universe hasn't closed out its third phase yet. We have two films to go, one of them that is going to upheave everything we know about the Marvel Cinematic Universe— the other that is going to close out everything we've seen so far. And we already have the trailer for the first film to follow that. I'm starting to be almost overwhelmed at how fast the turnaround is going to be. I don't think I'd really considered when it was May to July how fast that was going to be. And now that it's April to July, I'm kind of over... I'm kind of like, ah, that's a little too much. It's a little too fast. I need a little bit more room. I think Sony was hoping to capitalize on the success of Endgame and immediately roll it over into a Spider-Man powerhouse film. But I'm kind of drowned by it. It's a film every two months. It's the opening of March. It was originally the opening of May, now pushed a week or two earlier. And it's the opening of July. So it's literally 
a film every two months over the course of six months. No, over the course of four months, excuse me. It is a lot, and I think part of what is tripping me up about it specifically is that we have nothing on the schedule after Spider-Man Homecoming. With the sudden stop of production on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and nothing else currently scheduled and in production, we already have a glimpse of the last thing that we are guaranteed to be getting for a while, especially when we've been getting multiple films per year. It's not like I'm trepidatious or anything. It's not like I think the MCU is ending, but it's it's a really weird standstill that we are in. There's no chance that we're not getting Black Panther 2. No, of course. There's no chance that we're not getting Doctor Strange 2. There's no chance that we're not getting a number of these films that they've already started investing money in heavily because they want their investment on their property recouped. And I don't think single installment films make as much money as franchises. Well, that's for sure. So I think we have a lot to look forward to. I have more questions about Captain Marvel and Endgame, and this didn't answer any of them. Maybe raised a few. Interesting to see Nick Fury survives and is the first face of the classic Avengers we see post-Endgame when he was the guy that brought them together. Mm, Yeah, that's a really good point. So, Keba, what's your biggest walk away from this trailer? I think my biggest takeaway is probably the adventure continues. Nothing about this trailer felt incredibly different from the last time we got a trailer for a brand new Spider-Man movie. It got me excited and pumped. It was funny. It was dynamic. It was action-packed. This showed that whatever the result of Endgame is going to be is not the end of the MCU. And I'm just as excited to see whatever is going to come next for however straight it's going to be. And that is absolutely the best way to go into it. My biggest takeaway is that we're going into a very different kind of aesthetic, at least. I felt like a lot of the trailers, probably other than Spider-Man before this, always played up the big action and the way the hero is so strong and powerful. And this was a lot of fashion, and this was a lot of different scenic attempts, and it was some of the same sequences, but they were framed very differently by virtue of putting like the young kid in Europe. Marvel Cinematic Universe films haven't spent too much time in Europe, so it's really, and you know, not like Europe, tourist Europe. We've been to the back alleys of Sokovia, but we haven't really just been hanging out, going down a canal, and here we get to do that. So as much as I agree, they're trying to keep the same feel, they're at least showing us something new. Well, I think that's also because Spider-Man is meant to be sort of a teen superhero film, and I think it's... An example of how the MCU and Marvel Studios are trying to branch out what the concept of a superhero film is. The Ant-Man franchise is very much the family franchise. It's got kids. It's about families and everything. And I think Spider-Man is for teens. It's a teen superhero film without being hokey. And it's really cool to get a sense that they are still pushing further in that direction of not pigeonholing a superhero film to only have to be one thing. You know what? I really like that read. Let's go out on a high note then. Kevo, where can everybody find you till next time? On Twitter and Instagram at Kevo Really. As always, you can check out our awesome webcomic Riot Squad over at KidRiotComics.com where we publish Riot Squad and Capes and Boots on the regular. Check out our awesome 
other series, X's for Podcast here on Cage Club, as well as uh, me and my buddy Chris doing Now and Again, where we take a look at the Now That's What I Call Music series. Don't forget to support Cage Club by checking out their Patreon and all the other awesome shows on the network. Until next time, you can check me out on Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. All right. Well, until they drop the next trailer or the next cinematic movie hits on our watch through, we will check you guys soon. Thwip, thwip.